Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 59 is an interview with me. My good friend Nicole Q interviews me to find out where I got my drive and passion for running from and how I have developed my mental strength. I hope you find it interesting. Do you have injuries or niggles ruining your enjoyment of running and hindering your performance? Running is our time to focus on our health and happiness. And if this time is played with aches and pains, it's no fun at all. Come in and see the specialists at Health and High Performance where they utilise the latest in technology and experience to help you achieve the results you want and are capable of. So head to healthhp.com.au forward slash run or find them on Instagram, Health High Performance. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Rating, reviewing and sharing helps more people find it and grows the audience, which all helps when I'm contacting people to be interviewed. You can also go to my YouTube channel, Isabel Ross, to see the video recordings of this podcast. I really hope you enjoy this interview. I was super nervous about it all, but I hope it has given you, when you listen to it, some insights into me as a person. Thanks. Okay. Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name's Nicole Q, and I'm taking over the podcast today, and I'm going to put Izzy in the interviewee chair and I'm going to ask her a heap of questions so we can find out a little bit more about her. So hi Izzy. Hi Nicole, how are you? I'm good, welcome to your own podcast. Oh I know, thank you. It feels a bit weird being the one not asking the questions, no? Yeah, well I thought everyone, all your listeners get to listen to you ask questions and have great conversations with all of your guests but I wondered how many of them actually know about you, other than you, the person, other than, say, the coach or the runner or the podcaster. So with that in mind, I thought we would spend a bit of time today and I would ask you some questions about, I don't know, all the experiences in your life that have shaped who you are. So... Sounds good. Want to get started? Yes, yeah. I'm a little bit nervous because I don't know what you're going to ask, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes, shall we? Yeah, no. I've got, I've got my, um, I've got my glass of wine to give me a little bit of Dutch courage. So I'll have a sip. Yeah, no. And we'll get Sounds started, like shall idea. we? <laughs> yeah, let's get started. So I thought we would go back to your childhood because you obviously have an accent. So I was wondering whether you would share a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, um, your childhood, what life was like back in the olden days, 70s, 80s, (laughs) in the olden days, before the pandemic. That's right. The good old days. (laughs) The good old days. So yeah, tell us a bit about that. All right. Well, I was born in Glasgow in Scotland and um, my dad was Scottish and my mum was German and... Um, my mum didn't like living in Scotland. She said the weather was too dreary and depressing and uh, she didn't want to live there anymore. So we lived, we were there for six months and we went to Germany while my dad looked for another job. And um, he happened to find one in Australia where they needed some chemical engineers. And we were the classic 10 pound poms who came out and we came to Melbourne because my dad got a job at Swinburne University and we lived in Hawthorne at first and then we moved to Baldwin and I was only one when we came to Australia so basically I've lived here all my life and my accent is more due to you know living with my parents obviously because my dad had a quite a strong Scottish accent obviously my mum had a German accent which I didn't pick up but um they also lived in Canada before I was born so my sister's probably got a little bit of a Canadian accent, which I probably picked up too. So, yeah, so I just grew up in Baldwin and, and lived my teenage years there and, and that sort of thing. And, and Baldwin was a great spot to, to live. It was, you know, big wide streets. You'd just go out and ride your bikes on the road and play sport on the road and skateboard. And, you know, those were the days with no helmets. Uh, or anything like that and um, we'd go and play down the creek and your parents didn't know where you were and you'd be gone all day and, and we'd yeah. be just out walking and riding all day. Yeah, yes. 
No, it sounds very much like my my yeah. childhood as well, which was, you know, it was a it was a great way to live, wasn't it? Because I think so. Because you could so. just you had that freedom to go and do things. Yeah. Um, and today, not so much. So, um, so growing up, were you a sporty kid? I was definitely not a sporty kid. I was a classic nerd, bookworm, and I loved nothing better than reading. In fact, I once had one of the neighbours tell me she had an absolute heart attack because I, I used to read my book walking home from school and I was reading and I just walked straight across the road and she said cars were swerving to miss me and she's looking out the window and I just kept reading, walked straight across the road and kept going, didn't even notice. You know, another time I was walking home from school reading my book and I walked straight into a pole. So that was, that was me. I just read and read and read. That's what I love to do. Sport, I was, yeah. I was crap at sport. Yeah. So, it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because you hear so many people that are athletic later in life as adults yeah. say how they weren't particularly sporty or, or, or didn't get chosen for teams mm. um, in their early years. So... Um, when do you reckon you started to find your interests? You know, when did sports start to become a little bit more appealing? Well, um, well, certainly in high school it wasn't. I also became very, I became very short-sighted in grade four and, um, and then I refused to wear glasses so I couldn't see the ball or anything like that. I was that kid that would try to catch the ball and was two feet away. Um, so, yes, I was last picked for every team and even the people who picked me last still didn't want me, of course. And then um, <laughs> I got contact lenses in, when I was 16, which was a complete game changer for me because suddenly I could see. Um, but then I didn't really get into any kind of sport until I was about 18, well, 19, I would say. I went to a, see someone go mountain biking, a, a friend of the boyfriend that I was with at the time. Um, he, one of his friends was um, mountain biking and... Um, and I thought, oh, that looks like fun. So I just went and gave mountain biking a crack. And I was terrible at it when I started, like plumb last in every race because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, I can still remember in my first race, I couldn't work out how to ride the mountain bike and have a drink. So I had to stop and drink. And this guy rode past me going, you know, you're meant to ride and drink. You're not meant to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and by the time I finished that race, everyone had packed up and gone home. And I was the absolute last person. <laughs> But for that, I won a guts and determination trophy at the end of the season. So, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so how long did you do the mountain biking for? Like, it was it a long term thing or just? Um, you know, well, I I did it so from when I was about yeah nineteen till um, I don't know. I was probably about twenty four or so, and then I had a fall. Um, I was out training one day just by myself. And I was, came to this hill, this rocky hill, and I was trying to get faster on downhill. So I said to myself, right, what I'm going to do is, because normally when you're riding, you have two fingers on the brakes. And I said, I'm just going to take my fingers completely off the brakes and just go hell for leather down this hill. Just hold on to the handles, no brakes, nothing. Yeah, big mistake. Wow. I, I hit something. I, I think there was a rock. I went over the handlebars. And I remember as I'm going through the air, time slowed down, and I remember thinking, oh my God, this is going to be a wheelchair job for sure. And I landed and it wasn't a wheelchair job, mainly because the camelback on my back exploded on impact. So that took um, the force. I was on my own. No, this was pre-mobile phones. So I picked up the bike and I managed to walk out. I couldn't lift my legs up uh, to, you know, get over the bike, but I was getting bored walking. So I kind of had to slide the bike along the ground up between my legs. And I went down the hill. I went to a neighbor's house and um, they took me to the, like an x-ray place. And, and I remember when I went there, the x-ray people were like, I said, I've hurt myself. And she's like, oh, don't be ridiculous. You walked in here. You're fine. I said, I can't take my shoes off. It really hurts. And she's like, well, I'm not taking them off for you. You can do it yourself. You know, I went in and got the x-ray and when I came back out, she was running around me, hey, I'll help you, I'll put your shoes on, I'll do this for you, <laughs> that for you. Because I'd fractured a vertebrae and dislocated my hips and, you know. Um, oh. Yeah, so after that, I, believe it or not, I actually raced about two or three weeks later. I just wore a brace and raced because God knows I wasn't going to give up on my racing. But um, mm. I just, my, my heart wasn't in it anymore. I, it, 
Yeah. Once you become fearful, you can't, you can't do it anymore. And so I kept training for probably another year, but my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's one of those sports where you, I mean, it's an adrenaline sport, yeah. isn't it? You know, like, That's right. and, um, but it, it requires you to, to take risks, I guess, doesn't it? It does. And which was what I was trying to do as I was trying to get faster and because to be competitive, you have to be like that. But, and once you feel the fear, you end up just going on the brakes all the way around the course and it's, yes. you know, and it's not fun. It becomes, it becomes frightening. Yeah. So what was the training? Like, were you really intense about the training or was it? Yeah. Just when I look back now, I was seriously overtraining, <clears throat> like yeah. really badly. I didn't fully understand enough about training. I certainly didn't know anything about tapering. I used to train right up until the day before a race and then I couldn't work out why I was exhausted. And, um, yeah, I, I overtrained. Yeah. So. And was there like, I mean, obviously there's, it's not like now where we have just a plethora of, of online um, yeah. tips and coaching. So how did you know how to train for mountain bike riding back then? I didn't know. I would just go for rides with friends. <clears throat> I eventually um, made friends with this guy, Scott, and he, he'd, um, been an Olympian, he'd won a silver medal in a Kieran, um, and um, he started coaching me because he also got into mountain biking. And you know, he gave me his, he, he wasn't really coaching me, he was just giving me tips and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and one of his main tips was when I did a speed session, if I didn't vomit at the end, I wasn't working hard enough. So, um, <laughs> I never vomited, so I never felt like I worked hard <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, so, but, um, but even then, like, and then he moved away. So, you know, and once again, there was no online back then. So I just, you know, fudged around and did what I thought. And I always did okay. Like I ended up being sponsored and I was always, you know, podiuming, podiuming I don't know how to say that, fairly regularly and that sort of thing. So I had the natural fitness and that because also as I grew up, my parents being European, um, we didn't do normal sports. So that's another reason mm-hmm. I wasn't sporty. We would go away on the weekend up to Mount Buller and hike in the back country off trail for the weekend. That was our weekends. That was my summer holidays, yeah. you know, um, when we weren't involved in uh, other things. So I had a lot of endurance from just being out hiking all day long, much to my yeah. dismay. But yeah, that's what I used to do. So I had that. Um, and so I guess that kind of got me through a lot of those races. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, if that's what you had growing up, there's a lot Mm. of, I mean, there's a lot of strength that you would have developed with that. A lot of physical and mental strength just from hiking, you know, uh, as a child. And so even though it's not an organized sport, um, it's, it's definitely going to, you know, hold you in good stead when you start to do something like mountain bike riding. Um, Yeah, that's right. So after the mountain bike riding, am I right in that you did some bodybuilding for a while? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, so when the kids were little and I wanted to do something, um, it was I did bodybuilding because the kids, I could put them in the, the gym crash and right. I could work out for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. And um, so, yeah, so I did, it was figure bodybuilding so not the real big muscles the sort of the in between Mm. it sort of goes sports model figure and then full-on bodybuilding so I was doing the figure yeah and that was it was good yeah keep going (laughs) it was good because it was something to do and I and I'm naturally sort of I I can build muscle relatively well so yeah Mm. because I I'm fairly certain I've seen a photo it must be Mm. on one of your social media platforms and um you you looked like a bodybuilder not a not like you said not like a huge bodybuilder but there were muscles and and like that's a big change from mountain bike riding isn't it because it's gone from adrenaline cardio to uh i I imagine bodybuilding is it a really strict sort of regime oh my god it was so strict the food was strict there was certainly no drinking wine i can tell you that right now and it was drinking all the eating all these horrible foods i mean horrible as in boring um like i would have some carbs at breakfast but after that no carbs ever during the day and um it was a very anti-social diet because i couldn't go out with people because i couldn't eat 
any of the food basically. And, um, you know, it was, it was hard, but, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to do it forever. And then like before the comp, you would have to, um, like for the six days before the comp, so six or seven days out, seven days out, you drink one litre, the next day, two litres, three litres, four litres, five litres, till you got there, you had to drink six litres of water. And then the next day, nothing. And that would um, make you uh, suddenly everything suck in so that your veins would pop out more and your abs would stick out more and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so it wasn't, uh, it was full on like you were doing competitions. Oh, yeah, yeah, I competed. And then the, when I eventually gave it up, it was just before the last competition, doing all that with the water, and I was getting kidney pains. So I thought, this right. is so bad for my body that I'm, I'm not going to yeah. do it anymore, you know? And it just wasn't yeah. worth it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. that's Because um, that's not your traditional sport, you know? That's not no. netball, is it? It's so oh, no. And and I had to wear this teeny tiny itty bitty bikini and then do this po- posing dance to music on the stage by myself, which is <laughs> it was you don't, oh you don't have any uh, any uh, old video clips of that that you can No share videos, or... thank God for that. But I do have photos, but they're a little bit oh my god, I'm so orange and yet and, and to get to get the tan on, I had to go to a girlfriend's place and she got, this was in the days, I suppose, I don't know, she had a, like a roller brush from when you paint the house and she would dip it into the tan and roller me <laughs> with the fake tan. And I'd be, I was standing there in her, di- in her living room while her family's banned from the, while she's rollering me with fake tan. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. That's so, oh. so, and again, totally different now because you can just go and get a spray tan anywhere. Can't that's you? right, you know? exactly. Yeah. So, um, but she didn't yeah. do my face. <laughs> so I've got oh, this so orange. You were <laughs> <laughs> it was a very oh. attractive look. I think, I think you need to share one of those photos um, on your uh, on your Instagram just so that everyone. All right. Can, well, I'll I'll, the, I'll dig one up and uh, and I'll dig up the least horrible one. <laughs> and put so, it up. So there's a bit of a uh, a bit of a pattern. Like you weren't just mountain bike riding for fun. You weren't bodybuilding for fun. Like there was serious competition. Oh yes, with both. Yeah. Of them. yeah, yeah, yeah. So was it after the bodybuilding that? How did you land in the ultra running world? How did you get into that space? Well, um, so you know, I finished with the bodybuilding, and then um, you know, I wanted to do something to keep fit and not put on weight, you know, because to be honest, I love my food and I love my drinks of wine and that sort of stuff. So um, I wanted to do something, but, you know, um, I felt like I couldn't afford to go to a gym and that sort of stuff. So I thought, oh, I'll take up running. And at first it was just, well, I lived up in the hills. I lived on a couple of acres up in the hills. So when I say I ran around the block, that was probably quite hilly and it was, you know, I don't know, a few K anyway. Um, and so I sort of started that and then, then I did end up joining a gym and, um, I would just run on the treadmill and yeah, and that sort of thing. And, and I remember still, and I was probably still only doing just a few K the first time I did this loop with some of the gym people, it was probably five or six K and I was wearing my board shorts and, um, just some old t-shirt and some crappy runners. I don't know. But I thought when I finished that, I was like, Oh my God, I just ran. 6k I thought I was so awesome <laughs> looking looking like Courtney DeWalter as you did it in the book. <laughs> like a really bad version yeah because <laughs> they, they were board shorts that didn't really stretch so it was a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> but um but then um then I started just entering you know all the 10k races and all that and I just remember one race I think it was like run to the G and I'm doing it and there's pilly pill everywhere and, and I was trying to get through and then once I got into a rhythm I was like this feels right. And I just felt this feels right. This is what my body was designed to do is to run. And that's mm-hmm. when I was like, find it. You know, I finally found what yeah. I was, what I was enjoyed and what my body was good at. Yeah. And so that transition to trail running, when did that sort of, that occur? Well, Cause that's like a natural progression because you've done the hiking. Yes, the that's right. Yeah. And, and also the mountain biking. So <clears throat> I, um, I'd, I always sort of ran up the trails because I lived in the, on the trails. Um, I used to have to drive to get down to the, the roads to run. And, and so what happened was I, um, I started, I did my, well, my first marathon was going to be Melbourne, but then I got injured. I got ITB 
syndrome, whatever, and couldn't run for like six months or something. Because of course, back then I was really cautious. And if I was injured, oh my God, I wouldn't run. Now I'd have just run through that, you know. (laughs) Um, So then my first marathon was a Great Ocean Road Marathon. So I did that. And then I did it again the following year and I came like third or second or something. And um, yeah, I know I was pretty amazed too. And, um, and then, um, so then, and I met Peter Mitchell, who's from the Dandenong's Trails Runners. And, and he was like, I can help you to get faster. So he started coaching me for um, uh, Gold Coast to do a sub three hour marathon. And then, and of course we would do trail runs. And then as part of that, um, part of the training, we decided I would do six foot track because I'd always wanted to do that after reading about it. So that was uh, in March and Gold Coast was going to be in July. So I just did six foot track as part of my training and I ended up winning it. Um, And so, and I just loved it. And from winning it, I qualified um, for the World Long Distance Mountain Running Championships in Switzerland. And so, so yeah, so then I went and did Gold Coast and I got my sub three hour marathon, but it was so horrible and painful and boring and hideous. All I thought is I don't ever want to do a road marathon again. I loved six foot track. I love the mountains. All I want to do is mountains and track, you know, trail. Mm. Yeah. So then um, mm. I went over to Switzerland and did that. And oh my God, that was just so amazing such an awesome experience so yeah yeah just amazing like to do to win six foot is huge like I I honestly I went there and I've been looking at it I used to look at it on the website with a friend from gym and just go oh that'd be awesome to do I really I I thought that was so far above me like like you know I was nowhere near a good enough runner for that and I just went along and did it like like I said I was in a training block I was not peaking for that but, you know, when you kind of don't know, you don't know. You just go out and you just yeah. do it, you know. Yeah. And um, I just went out and, yeah. And, and yeah. I hadn't had kids that long before. And I don't know about you, but for me, the pain of having children was so hideous that by comparison, running mm. was nothing. <laughs> well, there's that, you know, there's that whole mentality of, you know, everything will end at some point, mm. won't it? You know, yeah. it, it's going to end eventually. And we're choosing to be out there. No one's making us be out there. So yeah, we, that's can, right. we can make it as painful or as painless as we want. But it, it, yeah. it, a lot of the time, I think, you know, if you don't have that weight of expectation on your shoulders, sometimes the performance is so much better, isn't it? I honestly believe that. And um yeah, and any time I've gone into a race where people have said, oh, Isabel's a contender, I've, I tend not yeah. to do so well. <laughs> yeah. Because, you, you know, we get all caught up in our oh, head, yeah. don't we? And, yeah. the, and, the, and the, we need to manage our mind. Yeah. That's, that's going to be the biggest strength in, in any sort of competition is how you manage your mind. And Definitely. So if there's no expectation, you know, yeah. you, can just, you can just perform at your best. But, but having said all of that, you had to still have natural running ability, endurance, strength and speed. And I'm wondering, you know, you look back and so you've got this hiking background as a child, followed by all of the strength and endurance that you would have developed as a mountain bike rider. And then even more strength and um, discipline, because discipline would have been huge as a bodybuilder. Oh, definitely, You know, are there other things? What What do you think you've you've you know bringing into ultra running? Some of these things in the past, you know, what are some of those other things that you've brought in? Um, well, I mean, um, I was, uh, I mean, I came from a very sort of strict European family. My mother was German, and if anyone knows anything about Germans, they're very um, strict and to the point and hard workers and that sort of thing. So I was brought up to not be a complainer and not be a whinger kind of thing. And um, Mm. I was also um, brought up in a different religion where we would get drilled uh, on being on how to be mentally tough, uh, which involved, Mm. you know, um, doing certain 
uh, well, basically, um, so I was brought up in Scientology and, and like one of the drills we had was called bull baiting. And um, I used to have to do this when I was in primary school and we would have to sit opposite another child uh, because we would do it with children. And um, in bull baiting, what do you do to a bull? You bait it, you tease it. Uh, so we would have to say mean and unkind and horrible things to the other person and they would not be allowed to react. So someone would have to say horrible things to me and I would have to only say, thank you, do fish swim. And, they would, and that was all I was allowed to say. Yeah, I know, don't ask me why. Um, and they would say, um, you know, whatever, horrible things, you know, trying to get a reaction, trying mm -hmm. to make you upset or they would say things to try to make you laugh or whatever it was, or they'd pretend to, you know, do stuff to you and you'd have to go and you'd have to sit still. And, and this could go on for hours. Thank you. Do fish swim and just no reaction. And then we had heaps of other kinds of different drills as well. Um, and that sort of stuff. And, um, and I learned to really control my emotions and control my reactions and, um, that is probably a lot of people say that I, I can, you know, in a race or oh, you're a machine, whatever, because you just keep going yeah. and you have no reaction to it. Well, I guess that's been a trained um, behavior since yeah. Uh, yeah. childhood. Mm. Yeah. Well, they, well, that, I mean, that's fascinating. Like I didn't know any of that, but yeah. it, it makes sense that you've had, training you, your brains had training just like your and the brain is a muscle it's like it any other part of the body you know so so you've had this training yep. um the, the same way i guess that uh athletes train their body yeah. um and and that's that's where you know because you've been successful as a mountain bike rider you've been successful as a bodybuilder and then had you know this almost instant success as a as a runner as well but it's your natural physical skill and training there, but coupled with this sort of, you know, mental strength that a lot of people yeah. don't have, you know? Yeah, that's right. Because so, yeah, I can sort of switch off my brain to the pain that I'm feeling because um, yeah. yeah, I'm practiced at that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really, yeah. Fascinating. So um, out of the, out of the sports that you've done, because you have been successful, yeah, uh, you you alluded before to that you felt that once you found ultra running, that was where you went. Well, that year. was more sort of running. Then even the world long distance mountain running championships were, was only forty two k's distance. Just give me a second. I'm just going to turn on the lights. It's getting yeah. dark. There we go. Sorry. Um, then um, I. My first, well, I guess the Great Ocean Road was basically an ultra. Then I, um, my first, what I consider my first proper ultra, I went and did Kepler. And um, I hated it. <laughs> so mm. at first I thought, I'm never going to do ultras. I, I actually ended up coming fifth in that, fifth female, but I, I hated every moment. Or not every moment, just the last half. Um, and then, and then, then for some reason I decided to do UTA. I think I'd done, started to do some 50Ks and that sort of stuff. And I actually trained properly for it and ate, like during Kepler, I didn't really eat the proper foods and, you know, mm. that sort of stuff. I, I didn't know what I was doing basically. So then, um, yeah, I, I did some more. I remember, I still remember signing up for UTA. It was um, at recess at school because I used to be a teacher and um, I got online and um entered it and just freaked out like, oh my God, I'm going to the teacher that I worked with. Oh my God, what have I done? How can I possibly run a hundred kilometers? <laughs> and um, yeah, I remember doing a lot of panic training for that one. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, once again, when I did that and um, that I came seventh in that, um, it just felt, it just felt right. You know, it still yeah. felt horrible at the end because it always does, but it just yeah. felt right. Something about going those really long distances really suits me. Yeah. So is there anyone throughout, you know, with the ultra running, have you had anyone sort of coach you or mentor you? You know, how did you start to learn how to train properly? 
to be an ultra runner? Um, basically, in my mind, certainly for 100K and anything under, um, all you really need to do is marathon training. And for the 100K, maybe a few, you know, longer runs. So that's basically what I did was very mm. similar to marathon training. And then, um, which I'd learned a lot of that through Peter Mitchell. He was a great help. Mm. Um, he wasn't still coaching me at that stage because I was, um, you know, going on to ultras and that sort of stuff. Um, and I don't know, I just made it up from all my experiences of what I'd been through uh, with the running and the mountain biking and everything. And, and I had some, I remember I had some hamstring issues before, um, uh, North Face and then, um, or UTA now. And I remember thinking, I'll do my speed work uphill because then it won't hurt my hamstrings. And about two years later, I was reading in a book that that's what you do kind of thing. So I kind of just sort of naturally worked it out. And um, it obviously worked because I was doing okay, you know, and, um, and just loving it, you know, and, and also the community of people. Like I just met such lovely people like you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the but that's the thing too and do you do you find that you know within the ultra running world or any i guess you know it doesn't matter what distance it is but yeah. you do make some fantastic connections with people because you'll go on training runs with them yeah. and have you know conversations over you know hours if they're long yes. training runs um even in the middle of races, I mean, you're, yeah. you were up the pointy end. I know when I started trail running, you know, I would be in the middle of the pack. So I would be having a great time because I'd be chatting to whoever came along on the trail next to me. Yeah. Um, so there's a real camaraderie in trail running. Yes, uh, definitely. That you don't necessarily get in a road marathon. Would you agree? Oh, in marathons, you don't talk to anybody. Uh, and I, I, know, I don't know if people know my running style. They probably do. They know that I tend to start off up the back and... Uh, because my body just takes a while to warm up and I slowly warm up and move through the pack. So I talk to everybody in the entire race. It's awesome. Like I talk with the people up the back and slowly move up and just talk to new people the whole way. And it's like you say, it's so much fun. And I think in ultra, because it is slightly slower pace, you are able to talk to people. When I was racing marathons, I, I wouldn't have been able to speak. No, no. And, and I guess the same in, in bodybuilding and, and yeah, mountain bike right. riding, you, you, you know, you've got that opportunity where there is, like you said, in ultra running, you're out there for a long time yep. and, um, you know, the person next to you is probably hurting just as much as you are. So you might yep. as well, you know, be in the pain cave together exactly. and, uh, and make the time go. Because you can, you can, you can find that another 20 kilometres pass just by running. Yes alongside someone else you know oh yeah like um, so like at the end of um that uta race that first one i did i was suffering and sucking and carrying on and this guy came up and he encouraged me probably for the last five to ten k's i can't remember he was like come on you can do it and he really he got me through because um then i got the silver buckle or something and even as we came up to the finish line we were together he goes no you go first in front of me and it was just you know i felt like that was what a, i didn't i still don't know who he was but I still remember that on how nice he was. He got me through those last five to 10 Ks. And even then he said, no, you crossed the finish line before me. I just think you only get to meet those kind of people in ultra running. Like I've never yeah, met people know. that, you know. Yeah, I agree. I remember the first um, trail run I did was the Yu Yang's 30K. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you had to climb the peak. Um, yes, just that's right. Where so I'm going up the, the stairs and all the 50K and 80K runners who had to do it a couple of times are coming down and I'm, I'm in awe of them. Yeah. I've never seen anyone run that far before. So I'm like going, oh, well done, you, you know, great job. And they're saying back to me, great job. Or, yeah. And like I was just gobsmacked that yeah. these awesome runners that could run 50 or 80 kilometres were, were, you know, were encouraging the people that were running the shorter distances. Like it just felt really... Uh, it like you said, it felt right. It felt like yeah. a good fit. So yeah. um, that's the thing I love about the the sport. So um, would you say, with your sporting background, with your life, would you say you're a risk taker, or do you play it safe? Oh, that's a good question. I I don't think I'm a risk taker. I I get yeah. I don't know. No, I don't think so. I'm I am. Um, I guess it's from my German background. I'm very planned and organized and know exactly what I'm getting into. So although something may look risky, 
it's not because I have, you know, made sure to the nth degree that I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, no, that and that makes sense. I guess the reason I ask is because I'm just going to sort of shift across to you. You you mentioned before that you're a qualified school teacher, yeah, um, which is a very important and very challenging profession to be in. Um, and I take it you probably have done that for a, a long time, yeah. When yeah, yeah. Oh, years ago, like I don't know, probably I've probably been teaching for. Oh, 18 years, 17 years. I'm only down to one day a week at the moment, but yeah. So, because the, re the reason I sort of brought it up was that you took the, uh, I don't know whether it's risky, but um, a rather big step in doing a teacher exchange a couple yes. of years ago. Yep. Um, and I wondered whether you would share what that experience was like. See, that's funny. I remember before I went, people were saying to me, oh, my God, you're so brave. And I'm thinking, what? How am I brave? Like, to me, <clears throat> it didn't feel like I was being brave. It just felt like I was doing something. And I guess that mm. comes from also from my parents. Like, my dad, uh, he worked in India. He worked in Canada. He worked in Germany. He worked in Scotland. He worked all over the world. So, to me, it seemed perfectly natural and normal to go and work somewhere else and to live in another country. Um, <clears throat> So to me, it didn't feel risky, but once I got there, I kind of understood a little bit more what they were talking about because it was really hard. And, and I mm. thought, you know, going to Canada, very similar culture, speak the same language, how hard can it be? It'll just be like moving time. But mm. even moving time's hard, you know, going somewhere, especially the other side of the world <clears throat> where you don't know anybody. I had to go there in the middle of winter. It was just before New Year's Eve. So snow, driving on the other side of the road in snow. So learning how to drive on the other side of the road in snow. Um, and, um, you know, not many daylight hours. So I was basically driving in the dark on the wrong side of the road in snow. And it was really scary. And then just, I've always been, believe it or not, really, really shy and um, find making friends difficult. And to be honest, part of the reason I went to Canada was to try and get rid of that. Um, mm -hmm. I, that was in 2018. So I had separated from my husband in 2015, got divorced in 2016. And I was just feeling crap about life. Like I was also in a rut and that basically all my life was, was running, working. That's it. Running, working, running, working. And, and there was nothing more. And I thought, this is it for the rest of my life. And, and how depressing is that? So I thought, I've got to break that rut, go and do something different. <clears throat> so that's part of the re reason I went to. And also so many memories, because I was living in very much the same area of when I was married and so many memories. And it was really, really hard for me. So I thought, I just need a complete change. I, unfortunately, as, as you may be aware, and, and I'm sure the listeners are too, you can't run away from your problems. They tend to follow you, uh, which they did, mm. you know. So, um, but in saying that, it was still awesome. And it really taught me to get out of my comfort zone. I was totally out of my comfort yeah. zone. And so I ended up, you know, joining a trail running group and I had to talk to people and I had to make friends. And, and I still remember one day I, I joined this um, Lululemon running group that would meet in the downtown and we would finish at this place to have coffee and um, everyone was getting coffee and we're talking and I went inside to pick up mine cause it was ready. I came back out and everyone was in groups talking and I thought, I'm just going to stand there like a gooseberry next to them, or I'm going to have to make myself walk up to a group and talk and I'm like, okay, Isabel, you can do this. And I walked in, walked, just sort of came into the group and just started talking, joined in and it was fine. And it was like, oh my God, I can do it. And it's fine. Yeah. And people like me and want to talk to me. And, and it was, yeah, it was, um, it really grew my confidence doing that and, and just doing yeah. so many different things. Um, you know, I drove from Calgary to Edmonton in a snowstorm in a car that was completely unroadworthy. And it was an unforecast snowstorm that oh my god it was so dangerous and and I was pretty much crying with my daughter in the car the whole way she had to help me steer because every time a semi would go past me the steering wheel would move the, the headlights didn't work so we couldn't actually see and 
but you couldn't pull over because if we pulled over, we would have got hit by a car or yeah. we would have actually frozen to death. So we had to keep driving because on this highway, there were no towns, there were no, nowhere to stop. So we did this for like five or six hours, me crying, her helping me steer, and it was just the world's biggest nightmare. But you know what? I did it. Well, we did it. And even that made me mentally stronger and, and just like, God, if I can do that, I can do anything kind of thing. Yeah. So there were yeah. so many experiences and it was just, and I, I ended up making some really good friends and so many friends and, and I just, such awesome people over in, in Canada that I was, I was actually so sad to leave. I didn't want to leave. I would have quite happily stayed. Mm. Mm. And I, I can remember when you were over there, I would see these amazing pictures on Instagram. Yeah. It was like, you know, I've just been out for my morning run and there's this like <laughs> backdrop of Canadian mountains and oh, I mean, oh, no. it looked so picturesque. Um, but I, I think, you know, it was, like you said, it was, it was a really brave thing to do because you basically leave the comfort and security of everything that you know and yeah. you go to a place where you don't know anyone and everyone's already got their groups. Everyone's already got the people they run with. And, and at um, our age... It's hard yeah. to break in. Yeah, at our age, it's hard to break in. And, and you also have to remember, I'd gone straight from living with my parents to living with my husband so this was my first time on my own and, yeah, and wow. you know, and, and I'd just been living for a year or a bit on my own, which that was hard enough. And then to completely uproot, I'd never traveled on my own, never done, basically never done anything grown up on my own. And um, mm. so it was, you know, it was tough, but it was so yeah. worthwhile. It was, you know, and, and doing the tough things, no one remembers, you know, the, the easy things, the things that come easily, they don't make great stories. <laughs> the tough things are what make great <laughs> stories, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and it's the same in races, isn't yeah, it? You exactly. know, like you, we all love the race where everything goes right and we have a terrific race, but yeah. we actually learn more about ourselves when we have things go wrong. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So, so luckily, I've had many, many learning experiences in my life. But uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm no Robinson Caruso here. Yeah. So you know, um, but honestly, if anyone have ever has an opportunity to go and live in another country, even if it's just for a year, just take it because it's only one year of your life. Like, big deal. Mm -hmm. But it was like so oh my god I, I seriously I could go and live in Canada tomorrow quite happily because yeah. the mountains are great and and once I got although the culture is very much the same it is a little bit different it is different they they don't make friends as easily as they do here but when they do make friends it's more it's less superficial right Australians mm. make superficial friends easier uh, the Canadians it takes a bit longer but they're more deeper friendships do, do you know what I mean yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. yeah. So it appeared that I wasn't making friends to me quickly at first, but then I realized the friends that I did make were really good friends and, and have stood the test of time, even though I've only known them for a little time, I'm still friends with them and in contact with them. Um, mm. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it was a different culture and there was some getting used to a different culture, even though very similar. And it also gave me a greater insight to my mother, you know, coming from Germany to Australia, completely different culture. She doesn't speak the language, you know, and it gave me a better insight into my own parents and how difficult it was for them. It makes me understand them more of why they, say, for instance, got into Scientology, which I always wish they hadn't. But, you know, at least that was a support network for them, as a, you know, so it gave me a better understanding and helped me look back more positively, you know, on those aspects of my life. Yeah. Well, and that was going to be one of my questions. What did you learn about yourself? And, and I mean, you've already, you've already shared that, like, you know, you obviously learn a lot about your own um, resilience, but, yeah. but then to have that, um, I guess the, the privilege of learning about your parents a little bit more because yeah. we, you know, we don't always understand why our parents do what they do or behave the way they do. And then to, you know, to be able to get a little bit of insight into what it would have been like to move to another country um, yeah. 
And then adding that language barrier, you know, that would have been a, a huge challenge as well. Yeah, and, and for my mum, you know, like <clears throat> being German, like when we came to Australia, um, the Australians weren't allowed to play with us, you know. Mm. Uh, my mum oh. would send, send us kids out into the street and all, all, all the other mums would bring their kids back in because we were the, you know, the weirdo Germans and also because the Second World War wasn't that, that far in the past, you know, um, people didn't want to associate with a German. And I used to get a lot of um, anti-Germanic um, issues with people and, you know, go home to your own country sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, and, and that was me basically an Australian. So I can't imagine what it was like for her. She would have found it impossible to make friends. So it would have been yeah. really hard. Yeah. And it's... it's um crazy to think that that sort of stuff was happening back in the 70s and the 80s yeah. you know but it, but it was it and, was um, and again that's something that you know people wouldn't realize would be happening to you because as you yeah. said you're essentially Australian you're only one when you moved here that's right um, yeah so and all of those experiences that we have when we're really young they do shape who yes and what we become don't they so yeah definitely um, so I wonder with that with that uh, exchange, you know, you obviously came back to Australia and mm. you returned, you went back to work. Yeah. Uh, did you enjoy the familiarity of being back, you know, in the stable, secure life no. that you had or, or was there something missing? No, just I, phew, I had a bit of a breakdown, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, because it was like I was back to that rut. It was back to the rut and nothing had changed and it was like, Oh my God, I might as well have not gone. And, um, and I felt like I had changed, but when I came back, nothing here had changed and everything mm. was the same, but I was like a different person and I couldn't fit in. And um, I was just, and they had warned us about all of this sort of stuff happening, but I was like, yeah, no, I'll be right. I'm fine. I'm strong. <laughs> yeah. Famous last words. So um, I ended up having to take three months off work to um you know i just i couldn't i couldn't work i couldn't do anything i was a mess so um and once again that running is what got me through you know um every time i've hit a difficult patch in my life it's been the running that has got me through mm. <clears throat> and um because of course my mother also died while i was in canada mm. and um you know i had to come back to see her in palliative care I went back to Canada two or three days later. I got the phone call. I'm driving home from work. And my sister's like, pull over. You need to pull over. Mum's just died like five minutes ago. And, um, and then I was back on a plane <laughs> to go back to, yeah. to Australia. And then when I come back to Australia and it's like, because my mum only lived five minutes from me. And, and it was like, but last time I was here, my mum was alive. And it, well, you know, the last time I lived here and it just was really weird and and running in the area where sometimes you know I'd go running and I'd see my mum out walking on the bike path and that sort of stuff and it was just really hard for me to mentally grapple with that and um and that everything was the same but I had changed so much and people expected me to be the same but I was a completely different person and and just it just was really like a, a mind you know whatever mm -hmm you know, the word I'm saying. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and, yes, um, I <laughs> and so I just had really a lot of trouble coping with that. And that was just before Barclay. So, which was, yeah. which was tough because it made my preparation for Barclay tough, but, um, you know, what doesn't kill us, kills, doesn't, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger as they say. And, and once again, I think last year was a really, I, I became, that's when I became, I think I've become a lot tougher since last year. You know, yeah, and just, so I mean, you're you're dealing with that adjustment of 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 returning from mm. from this fantastic trip that you know it took a while to adjust to when you got there, but then yeah. once you had adjusted to it, you really loved Didn't it. Didn't want to leave. You yeah. come back, you've got this, but then also adjusting, you know, almost like a delayed grieving, isn't it? Yes, it was definitely a delayed grieving. Yeah, yeah, it was mm. because mm. while I was when I went back but, to. Canada, after my mum died it was like oh everything's back to normal and it felt it was weird so yeah mm. definitely a delayed grieving 
So do you feel that, um, because, you know, then obviously that was 2019, which was, you know, a tough year by the sounds of it. Yeah, so um, I thought 2020 is going to be my year. 2020 is going to be this awesome year. year. And yeah. then some might say... Hang on a second, you're cutting out. What was that? Can you right. ask that again? Yeah, so, um, so 2020, uh, you did something that some would say was risky, some would say was brave, but yeah. you took a leap of faith and, you know, you decided to maybe... Uh, jump into the you're opening your own business yep. do you want to talk a little bit about the decision making yep. process that went on there um, yeah. for what you started this year so um, last year I was once again I was feeling I'm in this rut again it's just it's just work sleep run work sleep run and I was back there so I thought oh my god you know and um and um, after talking with a few friends and, and a guy um, who's done very similar in South Australia, Daniel Frugia, he gave up teaching to go into podcasting and, and coaching and that sort of stuff. And, you know, and I listened to what he'd done. And so I thought, I'll bugger it, you know, I'm done with this. Um, I'd got a little bit of inheritance from my mum. Mind you, I'd have much rather not received it and she lived to spend it all. But, you know, so I... Um, was in a position financially where, although I still have a mortgage, it wasn't as big as it was. So I could afford to um, give up teaching. <clears throat> and um, I decided to do PTing because I'm a PT and my running coaching. And, um, you know, I on a whim applied for this, I applied for one PT job at a gym, I got it. So that was awesome, which was across two gyms. And through that gym, I got a job PTing at another studio. and you know, life was great, you know, I was suddenly doing my passion, which was, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, you know, as much as I love teaching, it was never really a passion. I got into teaching because um, I knew I wanted to have children. I was going to get married. I knew I wanted to have children. I thought teaching, because once again, being a very pragmatic German-based person, you know, organised, all right, I've, I had my whole life mapped out, you know, like it was... Until the day I die. That's why, you know, the marriage ending was what the heck, you know, it was a complete change of plan. But I was going to teach because that suited having children and um, I'd be home for them on the holidays because I didn't want to have to farm my kids out on holidays. They could mm -hmm. come to school with me, I'd see them, and, and it all worked. That was exactly what happened. But then once the kids grew up, it was like, oh, now what? You know, yeah. and now it's time for me. So I'll get into the PTing and doing all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, and then COVID. <laughs> well, yeah, so, you know, um, it's a you know leaving the security, the stability of a full time paid position to yeah. open your own business is a risk for anyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then to do it in the middle of a pandemic. Well, you know, it's uh, the time. It's timing, isn't it? I swear to God, <laughs> it's it's like the story of my life. <laughs> but I, I, you know, you're not going to get a true sense of how successful it's going to be. No, that's right. At yeah. the moment, because no. gyms aren't open, people yeah. have no races to train for, or, exactly. or not many of do anyway. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I have no doubt. Like you have incredible drive, determination, discipline. Like we've heard all of those those attributes that you've had that have made you successful in your sporting life. Yeah. So if if you know you have those attributes as an athlete, if they transfer over into your business life, you know, running yeah. your own business, then that's going to be successful as well. Yeah. So um, it's just, we have to get out of the pandemic, don't we? Yeah, look, and that's it. And, and that's why I'm not, um, I'm not too stressed, you know, I'm still, I still got clients to coach for the business. I've still got PT clients that I uh, do one-on-ones with and FaceTime, I do online classes, <clears throat> you know, I mean, and it's actually taught me a lot about adapting and that old word that pivoting, um, you know, um, that's getting overused. But seriously, I, I have really had to learn to adapt and it's actually been really good for me. Um, and it, once again, it's really pushed me out of my comfort zone which has been mm. great because I've, I've really honed my skills of PTing because to PT over a, 
a mobile phone on FaceTime is way harder. Trying to teach form in that medium means you have to be much more precise and much more um, sure about what you're doing. So it's really honed my skills in that regard. And um, it's also taught me that, you know what, I can survive on way less money than I ever thought was possible. Mm. And that, um, you know, and, and you do survive, you know, you get by admittedly, mm. there's nothing to do, nowhere to go, nothing to spend your money on, but, um, mm. you know, other than wine, yeah. um, <laughs> but, um, you know, um, and, and, and also, I think it's also taught me to appreciate the human connections that I have to appreciate them so much more. Like, you mm. know, I, mm. I just think it just, you know, like, yeah, it's it still taught me a lot and a lot that I think I will um, still benefit from. Yeah, I think, I think you know, there's, there's got to be things that we take out of this whole situation that, um, yeah. you know, that are positives and, and, and we've all got to think a little bit more flexibly at the moment. And, and as yes. humans, at, by nature, we like to be in control. And so when things, when we're not in control, that's when we start to, you know, get that sense of overwhelm or for some people it's anxiety, for, you know, for some people it's, it's anger. Everyone reacts differently. Um, but whether it's adapt, pivot, flexible, whatever term you want to use, yeah. we've all had to adjust. And uh, the ones that have been able to adapt as you have and say, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to do it this way. I'm going to do it yeah. this way. Uh, you know, are still being successful, just uh, just differently than I guess you had it mapped out at the beginning of the year. So um, I'm conscious of the time, and I yes, I just got, saw that. Wow, <laughs> I've still got so many questions. Like I have all the, I had all these questions I wanted to ask you about resilience and mindset, daily. Well, habits, maybe we, strategy. We, we did talk about that. Maybe we should do a second one. So maybe we can yeah. talk about those more specific things. This has perhaps been more sort of a, a background story. Yeah. Get to the, um, this is a get to know Izzy, who is Izzy. And I yeah, think like a part two would be really, yeah. um, really useful. So that, because, you know, I, I'm fascinated to learn more about this whole mental strength. And, and I know that your listeners will be too, because that's the, that's the gold when you're in a race. That's what yeah. gets you that little bit extra. So I was going to finish up with something that I do with, um, my clients so oh, yeah. as you know I'm a speech pathologist and I That's like right. to uh I like to do uh would you rather so oh god <laughs> you get okay. one, 10 questions and you just give a one word answer oh so, okay would you rather we and I, I think we already know some of the answers because you've uh, alluded to them throughout the podcast but would you rather trail or road running trail 100% sorry that was two three words four <laughs> chocolate or cheese oh 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 do i have to choose you do cheese if it's really good cheese okay <laughs> movies or books books beer or wine wine although i really got into beer in canada they have really good beer yeah summer or winter to be honest, winter. Mm, I thought I, I thought you might say that. Uh, money or happiness? Happiness, a hundred percent. That's not even a. Don't have to think about that one. Wonder Woman or Superman? Wonder Woman. Always wanted to be her. <laughs> a personal maid or a personal chef? What was the first one? A personal maid or a personal chef? Ooh, chef. Mm. Love my food. Uh, holiday at the beach or a holiday uh, at the snow? Hmm. At the snow because I can still run in the snow. <laughs> and the last one, a golden ticket to Western States or to UTMB? UTMB. I love the mountains. <laughs> very good. You did very well. So it wasn't that hard after all. No, I was a bit nervous. I had to have an extra sip of wine just to get me through. <laughs> so thank you so much for letting me just steal the podcast and ask you lots of questions. It's been fascinating. Thank you. And thank you for being kind to me. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to look forward to part two. All right. Well, thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you find that interesting and that you know a little bit more about me. Do let me know in the comments what you think of that. And um, maybe if you have any questions for our next uh, instalment in regards to developing mental strength and resilience, let me know. In next week's episode, I chat with Andy Blow, one of the founders of Precision Hydration. We have a very interesting and informative conversation about the importance of hydration and having a basic hydration race plan, as well as looking at the huge variety of conflicting advice that is out there about hydration. You will learn a lot with this one. With so many restrictions in place, it's more important than ever to have a structured plan to ensure you maximise the time you have for training. Races will eventually return and you want to be ready. So if you need an individualised plan, email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to chat about a training plan. Have a great week of training. Stay safe and well. Look out for each other. And remember, with a little kindness, grace and empathy, we'll get through this together and come out stronger and more resilient.